En ik kreeg ik kon langer in het rahan. Podcast naar nirek ik ga moesteren aan te krijgen. En rolte op te rijden Welcome to Kong Langer, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and with me over in the Netherlands, we have Christophe Ranciukovitz. Meito. Oh, as they say in Motten, hello. Hello there. Um, and um, William can't make it today. He um, uh, We were scheduled to record, and uh, he came down with laryngitis, so... Um, Hopefully he'll be better soon. Yeah. William, if you listen to this, uh, just rest and get better soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hopefully he'll be better by the time this podcast comes out. Hopefully. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, But uh, anyway, um, uh, before we get into things, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, Christoph's language, uh, Moten, but... um, uh, before I want, I want to uh, thank our um, Patreon uh, donors, the our patrons. Uh, if you want to um, help support the show, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/conlangery. We're up to twenty-eight dollars a month. <laughs> but I, I don't know. That's not bad. You know, if if we can get up to uh if we can get up to 100 we'll we I will be redoing the the site so that will be that would be a great thing to be able to get to um and uh more on that at the end uh so just by way of introduction Christoph you've been on the show before Christoph is the currently the president of the language creation society and uh he is here as the creator of the language Moten. Uh, why don't you sort of introduce uh, Moten a little bit for us, Christoph? Uh, well, quickly, Moten is basically one of the first languages that I created that was not a complete failure. So you have to think, <laughs> yeah, basically, um, it's uh, one of the few languages that I still have uh, kept the notes of that I created before uh, joining the Conlang mailing list. And I did that back in 1997. So that tells you how long ago that that is. Mm -hmm. Basically, the first iteration of the language I created when I was something like 15 or 16 years old. I don't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. But uh, that makes it... Well, I'm 38, so you you do the math. So, uh, so it's really, uh, basically, when I joined the Conlong mailing list by, back in 97, I uh, introduced myself and my five languages that I had worked on, and Moten was basically the, the fourth of them. But it's mm-hmm. also the one that I've kept uh, going back to most during uh, uh, after, after that, even after creating other languages and doing all kinds of other things. It's the one I always came back to. Because mm-hmm. well, it has. I don't know exactly why, but it, I think it uh, of my early languages was the the most well thought out and the mm-hmm. the, the, the ones I really liked the most. And uh, a few yeah, a few years ago, I decided to uh, to start working exclusively on it, just to mm-hmm. to, to raise it to an to to a true language with uh, with enough vocabulary that it could be used as an actual language which I had never done before with none of my languages. And I've been busy doing that for the past three, four years. Yeah, um, and uh, you can see, uh, we'll link to uh, uh, Christoph's blog uh, where he has um, all of the uh, grammar information in a series of posts. And uh, it's quite a lot of information. Uh, There's also a dictionary and um you've done lexember for the past several years yeah right? i uh, i participated in lexember from the beginning so mm-hmm. so so far there've been 
let me check. Uh, four Luxembourg events, and mm-hmm. I've participated in all four of them. Yes. Great. Uh, so yeah, great, uh, great thing by the way, the Luxembourg events. I uh, encourage every Kornlanger out there to participate when uh, when it's uh, when they happen again. It will probably be in yeah. December again. Yeah, I I tr- tried to participate a little bit last one, but I uh, ended up not being able to do the whole thing, but uh, I'm I'm going to try to do it myself next year. It's a it's a great thing. Every every December, basically you create one word every day. Um the and there's a new one coming on happening now that they're calling verbuary. Yeah. Right? Yes. Where they do they do a verb in they do verbs specifically in February. I need to uh Get get more information on that one, but uh, more talking about um, Moten yep. in particular. I um, so I was reading through your materials and I had a few sort of comments and and um, and stuff. Uh, just I want to say I like your little conceit about um, basically you you have the sort of in world story that you made friends with a little boy that was found in Belgium that speaks Moton. Yeah. And... Yeah, and, yeah go ahead. Sorry. Well, uh, no, you go ahead if you have... Well, to... Basically, to uh, explain that, the thing is that a Moton... Uh, I'm not good at conculturing. I'm, uh, I've tried my my hand at created uh, at creating a world where my uh, my conlangs could be spoken. I'm just not good at it. There's just too much mm-hmm. stuff to uh, to think about. So, but with Moten, I wanted from the beginning to uh, to work the, uh, that that language up really well. But I wanted a way to be able to create my vocabulary without concerning myself too much about the culture was quite difficult mm-hmm. because vocabulary does reflect culture quite a bit. So mm-hmm. but how could I do that without having to, to think too hard about what kind of people speak Moten? And so I came up with that idea that, well, uh, uh, in the world where Moten is spoken, basically the, there's only a single person in the world that speaks it uh, natively, and that poor boy is amnesiac. So <laughs> that makes it quite simple. It, it's a, he, uh, he's a foundling found in the uh, countryside of Belgium in the, uh-huh. in the 90s. And this is a kind of... Uh, uh, during the 90s, there were uh, quite a few UFO sightings in the countryside of Belgium. So I used that conceit that things for people who remember about all the uh, all those news about those UFO sightings, that they could, uh, uh, well, uh, connect the dots and think, oh, maybe it's kind <laughs> of, a, yeah, could be an, it's oh, some kind of... So a- I, a- see, I didn't even get yeah. that part. No, that's, just... uh, that's really an, in, in a, an inside joke for the people who remember those uh, uh, those news, especially in Belgium and France, that was uh, we heard a lot about that during the nineties. Oh, okay, mm, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know if you really had to to make that conceit in order to 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 avoid doing a lot of con world. Yeah, it's, that's it's it's, 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 it's it's charming. Yeah, it's it's makes it uh, more easy for me. I don't have to give an excuse for why some words or how they are. I just say, well, I don't know. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I don't have to think about it. Which doesn't mean that I don't think about it uh, when I create the vocabulary, on the contrary. But I don't have to actually create uh, a full working culture for the language. I can just mm. give some... Uh, uh, think of, of how things could be. Or, or rather, I can try to uh, work out how the culture may actually be based on the vocabulary instead of the other way around. So basically starting with the the phonology. So your inventory is not so, you know, it's it's not a huge inventory. No. Um, It's fairly small, but not that small. Uh, You have 
like the five basic vowels. You have pataka, badaga, um, just four fricatives. Um, just um, more interesting. Like you didn't don't have a whole lot of like straight up allophony, but you do have some uh, morphophonemic uh, rules. One thing I just want to say. So in your romanization, you use a pipe yeah. for for palatals and for affricates. What gave you that idea? Uh, the way I was when I was create when I created Moten, I um, basically didn't have a computer at that time, so mm-hmm. it's all uh, it was all created by hand. And uh, when I set up uh, uh, the phonology, I wanted to have uh, basically a phonemic romanization, which I could call a romanization, because once again, I don't know what the culture is of the, the people who speak Moten. I don't have any idea whether they are literate and whether uh, or how Moten is written in their uh, language, so I only needed a romanization. But I wanted mm-hmm. it to be nice and phonemic, easy to, uh, to remember and to use. And the thing is that I had difficulties with those affricates and, and the palatal, nasal, and lateral. How was mm-hmm. I supposed to write them? And you have to remember, I was 16. I didn't. The only languages I had been, uh, I had uh, knowledge of were basically English, Spanish, Basque. Mm-hmm. I knew about other languages, but not much about them. Yeah, Japanese, but uh, I was not about to start using a, a, a syllabary on that. I had done that. <laughs> I had done that for other languages, but for this one, I was concerned more about the language itself than the way it was written. So I needed something. And um, basically, what I, what I was thinking about uh, uh, the romanization. I thought about using uh, some letters like the C and the uh, Others, but never it never fit. I thought about doing double letters like uh, the double L that Spanish uses for the uh, palatal lateral, mm-hmm. uh, but didn't quite fit my uh, my aesthetics. So, and suddenly I had the idea that if I was if I took uh, T S and removed the bar of the T, I had something that could be treated as a new letter. <laughs> And then I decided, oh. why don't I do that the same for TZ, for the, and then just use that same little uh, unbarred T in front of an L for year and in front of an N for year. <laughs> That's, basically oh, what okay. I did. That's basically what I did. And when uh, I started using computers, I had to find a way to uh, represent that little uh, unbarred T on the, on the computer. And once again, it was 97. So uh, no Unicode, for instance. I had to make do with uh, computers that had uh, forms with 255 characters at most. So um, I looked at what was available and discovered that little uh, pipe character that well looked close enough to my unbarred T that I uh, could use it. And it was not a letter, which made, made it completely, um, how you call that... Uh, you couldn't mistake it. Right. So that's how it started. And uh, now it's just, uh, I could, if I wanted to change that, but it's, it's been ingrained in the language for so long, it's, uh, it's part of its charm. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's an interesting choice. Yeah. yeah, and it's not a letter, and it's not reserved for anything, so yeah. you're not going to have any problems using it in file names or anything. The only thing is, you know, I call attention to that, that that pipe is not a click. That is that is yeah. a basically a diacritic. Yeah, basically on uh, either marking palatals or marking that this is an affricate. Yeah, basically. Um, I thought about uh, um, uh, diacritics, but diacritics on L on the L letter just look ugly. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. That's the that's one of the only reasons why I didn't use di- diacritics. It just looks so ugly on in in, in uh, on an L. So you have you have a lot of sort of um, phonological rules that cover like when illegal clusters happen, what happens to um, the the glide, um, uh, what happens to vowels when they come together. Um, 
One thing I wanted to point out, um, this is actually a really good thing that I think uh, a lot of conlangers need to keep in mind, is that uh, basically you are saying that, uh, so there's a voicing distinction in, in stops, fricatives, and affriates, in all the obstruents. And when you're voicing assimilation rules, um, they're not they're kind of not fully explained because you're you're talking about like very general rules for those. But um, but one thing that you do say is that they the voicing assimilation doesn't take into account n and l. It doesn't take in into account any of the sonorants. It's only obstruents that yeah. that assimilate. And the sonorants are, and that's the the reason I bring that up is that's a very good, very naturalistic um, rule. A lot of lang- languages are often like that. Um, in that sonorants just like uh, we talk about sonorants being naturally voiced, but often they don't really behave like they're voiced at all. That and um, yeah. there's you know people have come up with technical theories. Th- theories behind that, but uh, just in general, that's a good sort of rule to to have in mind. Yeah, you, uh, basi- basically, I consider I consider them uh, phonemically neutral. Mm-hmm. That's also the reason why uh, all uh, obstruents have both voiced and voiceless uh, versions, but the sonorants, the rest, are all only have one version. Right, which is normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. Um, I just thought it was it was good that you also took that into account in the way your rules worked. Um, and uh, there, there's no stress or tone at all in Moat? There, this is an upcoming uh, post on, uh, on that. There is... Uh, Moten has a pitch accent, but mm-hmm. it's not... Um, it's not lexical, let's say. It's uh, at the prosodic phrase level, mm-hmm. and it's only marginally phonemic. There are cases where f- words are, uh, well, phrases are uh, distinguished solely by um, the kind of uh, uh, pitch that appears on, uh, on it, but uh, it's, n- it's not that much. Mm. In this way, it's... Uh, it's quite similar to its um, to its big influence, which uh, is Basque. Mm, okay. Basque also doesn't have a lexical stress. Well, some uh, dialects of Basque have, but um, the main dialects don't have a lexical stress. But they have they have a phrase-based pitch accent, and Moten has that as well. Although it's not in the details, they are different, but the the idea is similar. Yeah. And I think we should mention that um right there's there's some things that will come up that Basque is a very, very big influence on Moton yeah. in terms of uh like the way a lot of the, the things work. It you Moton is not ergative though. No, it's not. That's that's one thing. Yeah. It's uh, uh, one of the things that I didn't take because I didn't want to make it look too much like Basque. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, mo- yeah, mo- and that's the thing that everybody knows about Basque. Everybody knows that it's it's uh, it's ergative, but yeah. they don't know about necessarily some of the other ideas that you oh, have. True. So, yeah. So, um, moving on, I'm just sort of moving through the sections, uh, the like the the blog posts that you have. So next, you have the next section is nouns and pronouns. Yeah. Uh, I found it interesting, like you said up front. You don't really have adjectives. Adjective, it's just nouns can modify other nouns. Yep. Yeah. Um, when I created Moton, I wanted to uh, minimize the no, uh, the number of parts of speech, of speech and I mm-hmm. ended up with three. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. nominals, which is all uh, nouns, pronouns, uh, numbers, all, all those kind of stuff, verbs, mm-hmm. and uh, what I call particles, which is uh, basically uh, clitics, and interjections. Okay. So, so that's that's uh, that's all that Moten has. No adverbs. No, uh, well, all those parts of speech that we uh, 
No adjectives. Uh, adjectives basically are just uh, a function of nouns. You put a noun bef- behind another, it behaves like an adjective. Yeah. And I, I want I, I will point to people looking at your declension charts for nouns just as um, a good example of what I like to call the uh, regular irregularity or yeah. sort of pseudo irregularity because there's you know you have you have like infixes and suffixes on the nouns that it's perfectly regular but because of the way the phonology works with it you end up with a lot of you know, variation in the, what the forms look like. True. That's, that's what's basically one of, uh, one of my goals when doing that, is that uh, uh, creating irregularity is, well, let's just, it's, uh, it's hard mm-hmm. to, to, to make it look like natural, especially if you, uh, if you just create the language uh, from whole cloth like I do. And, mm-hmm. it's, uh, and it's difficult to keep track of it. Whereas this way, I have uh, a surface um, form that looks like look really irregular, while uh, underlyingly it's just uh, regular forms with a few rules that I can re- remember and I can uh, apply on the fly on any word. Mm-hmm. It uh, looks quite complicated when you describe it, but when you actually uh-huh. use them, it's it's easy. Huh, it's, okay. It's, it's actually easy. I'm, I'm surprising myself. I usually tend to uh, to uh, to check myself when I uh, when I decline a, a noun to to check whether I'm whether I have the right form. And uh, usually I'm uh, I'm well usually I'm always okay. It's always right. So I'm surprising myself as how easy it is, and that makes it. Because it looks like a lot of phonotactic ch- uh, uh, morphophonemic changes, but um, you can handle it on the fly. So yeah, and um, it's not really that many rules. You have a few rules that apply for the whole language, which yep. is not not technically that natural. A lot of languages have like have like partitioned rules that work only for certain lexemes and stuff, but uh, with what you have, you end up making it look more more complex than it is, and I think yeah. that's a very good sort of technique to to start with with things like that. Um, I was also interested in like reading the the polysemy that you built into the the noun cases, yeah. uh, where each one has a core case function, uh, a temporal function, and a location function. Yeah. It seemed it seemed a little bit too clean and like schematic, but at the same time, it was it was a very interesting idea to have like you know cases do usually have you know multiple different functions. So, well, let's just say that uh, in this case, I, I, it looks a bit schematic, but uh, you have to remember it's only three cases. So yeah. It's the, um, yeah, the, I have so basically a nominative, an accusative, and a genitive. The mm-hmm. nominative, when used uh, uh, with a locative meaning, the nominative becomes basically a locative, an essive position, which is not, uh, well, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know if it's extremely natural, but it's, it doesn't sound uh, weird. The accusative becomes motion towards, towards which is um, so uh, basically an allative, which, by the way, is quite common. In mm-hmm. languages, to have uh, uh, the accusative used at least with uh, prepositions that mark uh, direction or such things, uh-huh. yeah. and the genitive, oh. the genitive becomes a motion from, mm-hmm. which is uh, kind of within the polysemy of uh, genitives in the world. I mean, uh, when you look at uh, French, for instance, the preposition that marks possession is also the same preposition that marks motion from. Mm-hmm. So I thought that's relatively okay. The, the, um, when it comes to the temporal uh, side, then we all, once again have the nominative because it's the least mark marks uh, location in time, so moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the accusative marks um, um, how you call that uh, duration, mm-hmm. which I've seen, I think, in Latin. Oh, okay. And um, uh, and uh, well, the, the and then you have the genitive which marks frequency, 
which sounds weird. I don't remember having seen that somewhere, but uh, some, somehow it's kind of uh, fit the rest. Basic, basically, it, it works out nicely when you uh, look with uh, f numbers and that you can simply uh, put a number in the genitive case to, to mark uh, a number of times, which in a weird way in my head works quite well. So doing That's something five times mm -hmm. is doing, doing something of five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that was that it's it's uh very interesting, definitely. And uh maybe uh next time I'm working with cases, maybe I'll be uh looking at that um and seeing about what what I can do with cases that that I can get that sort of polysemy. Um uh I didn't look too closely at your interrogative pronouns and indefinite pronouns, it looked like like all the indefinites are derived from the interrogatives. Yeah. Which is you know it's it's uh, it's very, very uh, regular in indeed. Yeah. Which, uh, it reminds it reminds me of the correlatives in Esperanto. That was one of the influences, yes. Yeah. So and, uh, in the uh, in uh, let's say in world I kind of try to uh, to explain that away by saying that probably uh, the people uh, speaking Moten live in some kind of very prescri prescriptivist society, with uh, <laughs> because that's not the only, only part which is kind of a bit too neat. Yeah, there there are a lot of things that are very very regular and very very neat that you know well, make it take it a little bit away from looking like a natural language, but you know, I don't want to like criticize you too strong because it, you did a whole lot of work on it, and a whole lot of this is really, really well, well thought out. Yeah, so. So, so that's why I thought maybe the excuse could be that uh, whoever speaks that language live in a very prescriptivist society where people, yeah, uh, uh, where they have some people who have a, a strong hand on on the language, and basically when they see things, they try to regularize things and such. And then put uh, a little bit like the the Académie Française tries to do. Uh, maybe and, uh, maybe the Académie Française uh, on steroids. Yeah, basically. <laughs> that, that that works. That works as an explanation. I mean, like the thing is, like for me, I'm always like in the vein of I want natural languages, want conlangs to look naturalistic, but that's just me and you know a lot of a lot of conlangers are like that a lot of conlangers are more like you and they actually prefer making their languages more regular so um oh, I, 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 I like to have irregularities but uh, in the case of moten they are more in the uh in the vocabulary and some in uh, quite a bit in the syntax than in the, um, uh, the morphology uh, okay. So That's... when you actually use the language, you notice a lot of things that, that uh, uh, are actually irregular. It's just the, the morphology. It's a little bit like Turkish, which uh, has very little uh, morphological irregularity, but finds mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of weird things happening in a more at the syntactic level. Oh, okay. Moving on, I was yes. just I looked at the the counting and uh, you know. In conlanging, numbers or the numerals are one thing that I like. Um, cardinal, your cardinal numbers are not are basically just the the Chinese system. Yeah, the so. the, the other big influence of uh, uh, Moten is Japanese. Right. So, so that shows here. Use the the Sino uh, the Sino Japanese numerals and come up with something. Yeah, you come up with something similar to to what you have. Yeah, basically, it's it's this system. Uh, well, basically, the Japanese system pr showed me that I could have a very regular uh, uh, mm -hmm. numeral system with uh, twenty being simply two ten, and that yeah, would be yeah. seen as, that that would be natural. That's basically what uh, uh, what I saw. So, so I decided to to do that and to. Uh, to put the complexity somewhere else, but you still have all of your um, phonological rules operating there, so it yeah. still makes things a little bit more interesting. But the interesting one thing that happens, though, is so your ordinal no numbers in Moten you can't 
you can't you don't have like first second third fourth you don't just you have to say if if i'm getting this right you have to say where you're counting from beginning middle or end right yeah. and you have to count say which direction you're counting exactly basically the the ordinal numbers or moten are not absolute they are not based on an absolute list from uh, the first to the last but they are relative to uh, to some kind of origin and you you can set the origin wherever you want and the since you can the idea is that when you use ordinal numbers is basically you have some kind of list Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, what Moten allows you is to set the point from which you're going to count anywhere on the list. And that point needn't be uh, uh, actually a number. It can be anything. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just the cont it needs, just needs to be something that is understandable uh, from okay. the context. And then you can say uh, in which direction you're, going, you're counting that's, uh, towards the beginning, so uh, if you're counting backwards or uh, towards the end, so forwards, and then how far you are from that point. And that mm -hmm. forms an, uh, an actual ordinal number. And actually, Moten has three absolute ordinal numbers. That's uh, Zaya, which means first, which is the absolute first on the list. Kuna, which is last. The, the, so the last point, and uh, Difoya, which is uh, the the middle point, basically, uh, which is at uh, the same distance from the first point on the list to the last point. Of course, list being whatever you're talking about at the, at that moment. So it's very context sensitive. Well, what if you have an even number of list items? Then um, that's. A, <laughs> like every language you kind of uh, uh, where reality doesn't fit really that well with how the language works you just uh, kind of ignore that and just use it and uh, <laughs> ma make um, and context help disambiguate okay. basically in this case defoyer can refer to any of those two middle uh, uh, positions and uh, uh -huh. you just uh, use context to uh, disambiguate. Okay. Yeah. All right. Basically, that's it. But do, do, using Defoya as the as the origin of a count is not that common, let's say. Mm. So it's uh, so it's not it's not something that happens that or that often. Yeah, I, I I can understand that. I was just asking the question. Yeah. You know. Yeah, like uh, like like I, like I said, um, the morphology is very right. regular, but it doesn't uh, solve all issues. When you have problems, well, you just kind of uh, do with what you with what you have. What we do basically with uh, uh, a natural language, when we have something that we uh, uh, don't, uh, something new that we don't know how to uh, call that, we just adapt. And that means that can mean anything from borrowings to um, just uh, uh, make uh, use some kind of uh, metaphor or comparison and use uh, something that still exists. The very it's very rare that the language has a specific expression for all everything that uh, you can throw at it. Right. Okay. Um, I I also was interested, you know, in the counting part in your counters. Yeah, which it looks like they can stand alone. Yeah, They're but basically your counters are a class of nouns that fuse with a numeral. Yeah, right, and they can be used as classifiers. Yeah, okay. They are um, they are actually they are basically um, uh, optional classifiers. They are nouns, uh -huh. so they are just normal nouns, but they just happen to uh, to not use uh, uh, cardinal numbers as uh, as adjectives, but they fuse with them when you count mm -hmm. them. And is there any like semantic or any other conditions that you have like to like determine which ones are going to be counters, or is that just sort of you arbitrarily chose? It's, uh, words? it's usually relatively general words. It's not. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, it's 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 words for generic things. Oh, or, okay. And words for things like uh, time most most of the, I think nearly all the words that refer to time uh, to to durations or to, to or to times are counters 
mm-hmm. but that's the only place where the, you you have something that's really clear. The, the rest, I can look. I have a list of all uh, all the counters, but it's it's uh, it's my own list. It's not uh, online. And uh, do you have like that notated in your dictionary? Uh, it's it's marked in the dictionary. They are uh, indicated when they are counters. Uh, but basically, when I look at what I have, it's 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 generic words. Uh, it's so words for time, like Ada, which means year, uh, Caesar, which is a calendar day. It's words mm-hmm. like um, let's see, Focus, which means person, uh, Sponda mm-hmm. and Kit, which are two words for animal, uh, are also counters. And I have words like uh, uge, which means, rep- uh, if I remember co- correctly, step. Let me check. Yeah, step is also a counter. Mm-hmm. So, and what do I have? Uh, zan, which means a digit of finger, is also a counter. Happens to be mm-hmm. also a counter. So it's really things that are uh, things that are c- quite commonly counted and generic words. But there is not mm-hmm. no no specific rules. Yeah, you just have to learn which ones are counters and which one are, which ones are. Yeah, not. you have to memorize it. Yeah. But I just was thinking there was some principle to. No, there's that. not any specific principle. Just yeah. Um, just like or just general heuristics is what you have. Yeah. Um, so I really want to move on yeah. to the big a big thing <laughs> to me is. The verb system, especially coming off of our last episode yeah. where we were talking about um, auxiliary verbs. So you took inspiration from Basque yeah. and said, basically, verbs do not have any finite forms for for beginners. Um, and I do highly suggest beginning conlangers read the uh the grammar post that Christoph does because he does a very good job of describing of explaining a lot of basic linguistics um, ideas. But um, but finite finite verbs are the kind of verbs that take like um, I take tense and they take uh, person marking and number marking some or some sort of agreement marking in most languages, but they take arguments and infinitives participles don't really take aren't aren't really like full verb forms. So in English you have the finite forms uh, of to be, let's say am is are um, and the infinitive is to be um, uh, or just be. Um, But anyway, for you, you have, all verbs have infinitive and a participle, um, and they do have one finite form in that they have imperatives, but usually the only finite verbs are uh, the auxiliary verbs, atom and agem. Yeah. So if you can, you can explain, take over and explain things um, at any point. I was just, it was very interesting to me how all of that inter- interacted because... Uh, basically, you reused your um, your case morphology, and then had the infinitives and participles of verbs in combination with these. It's it's another one of these things that's very schematic, but it's a very cool idea that I thought yeah. was happening. Well, basically, that you, yeah. yeah, basically that's uh, once again that's an influence from Basque. Which uh, yeah. also has uh, all, has a, a handful of uh, conjugated verbs, and all the rest uh, uh, take only periphrastic forms. So they need, they have uh, a few non-finite forms, and uh, you have to put them together with uh, uh, with an auxiliary, which mm-hmm. is uh, usually to have or to be. But there are a few others in Basque, and um, to form conjugations. In Moten, right. I just went uh, all the way with that. The only verbs that have finite forms are uh, atom, which means to be, and agem, which means to have. And uh, all other verbs, including atom and agem, for the forms that don't exist as finite forms, uh, form their conjugations using those two verbs and their um, non-finite forms. 
every mm -hmm. verb has an infinitive indeed, which is basically just a, a verbal noun of action, and a, a participle, which is basically a resultative verbal noun, and they're just added to the um, uh, to the auxiliaries. But indeed, what's happening is that they can be added in any of the known cases that are available, so nominative, accusative, and genitive. And the combina combination of uh, the um, no, non-finite form pl uh, together with its case and the, the um, auxiliary chosen gives us the, um, yeah, mo it's, the mood it's... aspect or voice of, uh, of, of the verb, basically. Right. And it looks, it's quite schematic. Some of it makes some kind of natural sense. The rest I explain away by saying that it's probably, it probably didn't exist, but it was, it, it, those were forms that were added by those prescriptivist people who've, uh, who like neat and tidy <laughs> things. Some of them, on the other hand, are quite, um, are actu actually rather um, uh, nat naturalistic. For instance, uh, having, well, qu quite quickly, nominative infinitive plus atom plus to be is just the perfective aspect. It's just the gnomic, the normal, the present, basically. Well, it can be past mm -hmm. depending on the form of the uh, of the auxiliary, but it's the no normal form. If you if you take an accusative infinitive, remember the accusative has an uh, uh, in a temporal meaning has a duration meaning. You form the imperfective. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense together because the accusative has this duration meaning that you could make a continuous uh, uh, aspect using the, the accusative. Uh, another thing that uh, since the participle is uh, resultative, having the participle in the nominative case plus the perf uh, plus uh, uh, atom makes the perfect aspect, mm -hmm. which in Moten is purely resultative. So it's, yeah, uh, so it's okay. all, all kinds of th those things make sense, but things like um, especially the uh, having the genitive participle with the uh, with agem me being the desiderative mood, which means to to want to, that yeah. is definitely not something that you'd expect to uh, to come up naturally. And this this is what I'll explain away by saying that. Probably um, uh, the people in charge want, uh, had this kind of thing that uh, was already happening with holes okay. and just decided to fill the holes. <laughs> well, and that's when, when I say it's schematic, it's not like basically it's like you have this chart and every single slot has some sort of meaning. And some of them are look sort of related, but it's not totally schematic in that like it's not like you know it's not strictly configurational not true right so you can't you can't like you you don't get you you don't obviously get like one meeting from the the case one meaning from infinitive participle one meaning from from the auxiliary you choose it's it is sort of spread out in that way in that it's it's um it's a lot of sort of different things, but yeah, um, I, I think it, it's, it's sort of an interesting thing to look at for inspiration. Maybe people can look at these and then look at what ones are actually, you know, do happen in, in languages and what ones are maybe less, less common and then yeah. sort of roll their own sort of systems like this. If, if, if you're wondering where those, that idea came from, it actually came from Basque. Yeah. Because in Basque, there is this one little uh, thing that you form the, the future tense by taking your, um, the, the normal form of the verb, so the, 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 it's the participle, that's what we call it, the participle in Basque, and put it in the locative genitive and add it to the, uh, uh, to the auxiliary. And that's the way you form the, um, uh, the future. Okay. It, some people consider because it's an, a suffix co, and some pe people consider that suffix the suffix used for the future to be different from the suffix used for the locative genitive. But then I discovered that some of uh, some dialects of Basque use uh, doesn't don't use the suffix co 
to form uh, the the future, but another fu- suffix ren, which happens to be the possessive genitive. Huh. So okay. it really is a, a genitive form added to the auxiliary of of the part of uh, of the verb added to the auxiliary that forms the future. And that's where the okay. idea uh, came from of reusing the the cases with um, uh, non-finite forms and the auxiliaries to form all kinds of uh, distinctions. It's just I, mm-hmm. I, I went all the way with that rather than Basque. Yeah, does the, it only yeah you, just, you just went all the way with that. Yeah. And usually you wouldn't expect a language to be like that thoroughgoing with using one particular strategy yeah. uh, to do that. But it's a very interesting system. And, and, to, be, uh, and, and I wanna... to, to be fair... When you mm-hmm. actually use the language, a lot of it is not actually used with all verbs first. And uh, the language also has alternatives for a lot of that, of, of a, a lot of those things that, uh, that are slightly more naturalistic, which make use of, uh, of, of uh, compounding verbs to, uh, to replace those very schematic things. So even the language itself is, uh, is kind of... Uh, trying to to break away from this very schematic stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, I want to take a break from looking at uh, grammar and just um, I want to talk about, you know, in your dictionary, your dictionary is really well thought out, very good stuff. And I wanted to just say I really like how you have all this sort of usage advice and stuff like um, in a lot of the um, in a lot of these um, you have this like a field that you're calling um, restrict to, to say, you know, this, this word, let me see if I can find a good, um, good illustration of this, like uh, ag to go. You have restrict speaker oriented. Yagi always refers to motion away from the speaker. Sort of, you know, to say, okay, here is here is a a usable English gloss, but this is how it differs differs a little bit from the word that I'm using here. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's more. Once again, it's the Japanese influence. It's 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 uh, behaves a lot more like uh, the Japanese iku. Than the uh-huh. the the English to go, mm, and okay. it, it goes even further because it has a second meaning, which means to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another another word that I saw earlier is like you have to find something, to find something out, ayek, um, to discover something, to uncover something, and then you have under the restriction, only used for abstract finds, like finding a solution to a problem. Uh, and then you say you you mentioned what what verb you would use to actually find a physical object. Um, I really suggest people looking at this dictionary because it's um, it's a very good example of the kinds of things that you should look at. You should think about for every word. And I'm I'm guilty of just sort of giving English glosses and not making special notes really of what the specific things uh meanings of words are uh when i probably should so like it's uh it's nice to see when someone does that yeah that that has been from the beginning a very strong uh goal of mine to uh uh how to 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 say that to to create a vocabulary which is not just uh a relaxification of the uh of the languages i know so and the only way to reach that really is to think hard for every word that you uh, that you add, what its semantic domain is, and to describe that correctly so that you afterwards you don't forget it, basically. So, mm-hmm. so, so all that uh, uh, information is not just for the reader, but it's mostly for myself, so that when I uh, uh, so that I don't forget that when I created a word, I created a word for this specific semantic domain and uh, uh, not just as a uh, an, ex- an exact uh, uh, translation of an English word. So, mm-hmm. so that's uh, yeah, the, the dictionary is created mostly first for my own use. So uh, so that's why I put all that information. 
Yeah. Which is which is also good for people to to uh, to look at it to think about how uh, when you create words that uh, things can be different from how the languages we know English, French, Spanish, or those do. You can have lots of uh, uh, different ways of uh, organizing the the semantic uh, uh, space. Right, and that's that's just that's like the biggest lesson to learn in conlang because if you do not try to make your words cover a different semantic space than in your own language then what you end up with is a relax even if you do all kinds of differences with the way grammar works out if you're not paying attention in your lexicon to what words mean specifically you can very easily end up with something that looks very, very much like you're relaxing English or some other language. Yeah. Um, I didn't really get uh, all the way through. There's there's a ton of stuff on the website, but like, are there any like parts of the language that you really would like to talk about? I know that you know you have ton of you have like three whole sections on surdeclimate. Declinaison is on. You've talked about that a lot. Um, yeah, for 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 that, you, uh, maybe you can link to my uh, presentation at the fourth uh, language creation conference, where definitely I that, where yeah. I discussed uh, that. And basically, sur declinaison is just uh, once again an uh, influence from Basque, which is uh, Basque has the ability to take already declined or uh, inflect, basically inflected forms as basis for further inflection to change the uh, the function of the uh, of the word it's it's used mostly a lot with nouns nouns but it's also used with verbs to form some uh, mm-hmm. some subclauses and uh, basically moten does that uh, as well a lot of it so, mm-hmm. um, so that's a uh, that's a big thing Basi- basically moten has very little um uh, deri- derivational morphology, mm-hmm. or, uh, uh, something like a handful of, of uh, affixes, but it makes up from, for it by uh, surdeclinaison and a, l- a very free compounding. But mostly, surdeclinaison takes a lot of uh, care of a lot of what you would handle with uh, 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 derivational mo- morphology in other languages. Uh, otherwise, um, yeah, I, I, I advise people to actually, to simply read all those uh, uh, those posts about Chardeclinaison because they are it's uh, it's quite a lot to uh, to explain. So it's too much for yeah, this uh, yeah. for this podcast. I don't. I, we don't want to go yeah. fully into it on the. But you do a good job of explaining all the stuff in in all of your grammar posts, and I think I, I think this should be uh, the this is good. Uh, reading material for uh again i said i think it's good reading material for beginning conlangers get with the sort of the idea that going into it that this is one particular language you, you there is a lot of explanation of sort of concepts that you're using and such so um it's 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 and it's written at a level that i think a lot of like the beginning conlangers could 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 deal with very well. Yeah, I did that. Uh, actually, I did that on purpose. That uh, mm-hmm. it's not just a description of the language. I wanted it to have some kind of uh, um, didactic value for for the people, so so that you could you you could um, come to it with little knowledge of of linguistics and still be able to follow. Mm-hmm. There is some kind of learning curve when you're reading it because I do use linguistic uh, uh, terms and uh, uh, well, ter- terminology, but uh, each time I do that, I try to explain it at for for a level of somebody who basically only has had uh, 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 English grammar courses, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very good um, material. Um, so. We will link to all of that stuff, and uh, it's it's uh, very interesting to read. It's a lot of a lot a lot of stuff. Um, 
If you are familiar with Christoph at all, I get emails from him all the time. His emails are this long, too. <laughs> Not quite, but they are quite long. I, um, I, I tend to try to uh, explain everything. <laughs> yes. Um, but um, it's it's a very good thing for people to learn from, I think. And... Um, Oh, and by the way, uh, if you uh, if you're thinking that uh, Moten is a very regular language with no exceptions at all, I uh, uh, advise you to read uh, uh, the post number twelve, which whose yes. title is "Irregularities and Exceptions." Right, where you you actually start to address that issue. Yeah. Because I mean, like when you're going th when I was going through, it looked like you had not so many. Uh, not not so many irregularities, but apparently there are quite a few once you get uh, uh, get into uh, actually reading in through the irregularities section. You have some some interesting differences going on. Um, I I think um, also you say you still have some stuff that you haven't written up yet. Yeah. I think it would be really great if you after after. Um, you have all these posts uh, written to like collect them into like a printed book because I think that's uh, the quality that you have here. It's it's so. it's it's in the long term pipeline basically. Once uh -huh. I, once I'm basically finished and I still have something like uh, five posts in the making before I can say well this is basically complete. Um, then I will be able to uh, to do that. Basically, I still have uh, uh, quite a lot of stuff to uh, to describe about the prosody. What, like, mm -hmm. like you, you said at the at, at the beginning, the uh, moten. Uh, I haven't talked much about accentuation, uh, prosody, intonation, such things. I have a post coming up uh, about that. Mm -hmm. um, I also have. Um, let me quickly check what I have uh, in the in the pipeline. I have a post about uh, the next one for whenever it's ready. It's about syntax in general because so far I've been uh, very clear about uh, morphology, but syntax hasn't been handled very much, especially at the uh, well a little bit at the level of the noun phrase, but mm -hmm. the syntax at the level of the sentence and at the level of the paragraph is still uh, to be handled, and that's going to come. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, intonation and prosody, uh, proper nouns and people's names, because those have some specific rules that are not exactly the same as the, as the rest of the nouns. Um, okay. uh, I have a post coming up about uh, verb forms, basically mm -hmm. um, uh, retreating that explanation of all the, the verb forms and explain explain exactly how they work because uh, since I wrote that um, uh, that post I discovered that some things are not exactly as they seem and um, so I need to uh, to explain that better and doing the same with the, the cases and functions and uh, describe also all the post positions that the language has that haven't been described yet at all so it's uh, I, there's quite a lot still to be described Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that means that people will have things to look forward to yes. in the future. So uh, that's uh, really great. Um, I want to uh, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, thank you for having me. I also <laughs> and uh, I want to thank our um, uh, thank all of our listeners, uh, our our five patrons on uh, Patreon. And uh, let me, um, if you are due to get, uh, there's there's so far one guy who's due to get a shout out. That's going to be in the, the little ending spiel once I add that. But uh, thank you, everybody. And thank you, Christoph, for being on the show. And uh, happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archived show notes at conlangery.com. A special shout-out goes to Scott Hamilton, our patron over at Patreon, for his pledge of $20 a month, and to all of our patrons who have brought us up to $28 a month now. 
you can go to patreon.com slash conlangery in order to donate. You can follow Conlangery on Facebook, Twitter, or Google+. It's Conlangery at each of those sites. If you would like to submit a Conlang or Natlang greeting for the top of the show, our contribute page has a phrase that you'll need to translate. You can visit there and email us at conlangery at gmail.com. You can also email conlangery at gmail.com with any comments or suggestions you have for the show. Join us next time. We'll have Bianca Richards on the show, and we will be talking about obviation. <laughs> <laughs>